0: Good morning. I'm going to have to tell you up front. I've had this little cough thing going on, so uh, I'm just giving you a heads up. You know, if you're falling asleep and I start coughing up here, and you, you know, you wake up suddenly and afraid, then that's not my fault. I'm just telling you up front. I've got this little cough thing. Um, so this morning we have uh, before us the book of Jude that we are going to be looking at. And uh, again, don't don't panic. Because uh, you can just take your outline right here, if you fold it in half, that's as far as we're going to get today. So I, I know that a lot of you were worried about that. Good grief, that's a long sermon of the 20-some, 25 verses of Jude. Don't worry about that. We're going to get through the first part. Um, within the next four or five years, we'll finish up the book of Jude, I'm sure, and uh, it'll be great. So, um, so I'm looking forward to it, and uh, I hope you are. So this morning, as we uh, as we come to God's Word in the book of Jude, um, just by way of introduction, I uh, have been reading a book, and that will come to a surprise for most of you, because you know that I'm not a big book reader, right? So it's, it's, it's not my thing, but I saw this on the shelf um, at my in-law's house, and I was intrigued by it. And so... Uh, Michael Zuckoff, uh, author of the number one New York Times bestseller, 13 Hours, the inside account of what really happened in Benghazi, examines the truth of what happened at the United States Department special mission compound on September the 11th, 2012 in Benghazi, Libya. Now, to give full disclosure, I haven't read the whole book, but I did read the introduction and in reading the introduction Zuckoff says here is the truth about what happened but he follows that statement with several paragraphs of disclaimers of how this is some of the truth but not all of the truth and that the whole truth cannot be revealed due to certain classifications of information the security of the United States so here's exactly what he says Classified details were omitted. Is this the truth or is it not the truth? Classified details were omitted. The accounts of the operators, the hired security, were fundamentally in sync, but occasionally th- they diverged. Whenever possible, the narrative reflects the varying perspectives. Select bibliographies, in other words, carefully chosen, were used to provide context, fill the gaps during periods when primary sources weren't present, and to confirm or elaborate upon the particip- participants' rec- uh, recollections. So, do we have the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? No. Zuckoff says we don't. Truth, that is a slippery thing nowadays truth where does it come from what is truth are there some things that are subjectively true in other words some like this book 13 hours how do we know what's true truth as Francis Schaeffer would say in John 18 Pilate says to Jesus so you are a king Jesus answered You say I am a king, and for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Isn't that ironic? like rain on your wedding day. Isn't it ironic that some 2,000 years later, we're still asking the same question, what is truth? As we begin looking into Jude's letter this morning, let us read part of it and pray together. Let's look at the first few verses of the book of Jude. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered for all the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, as we come to your word now, we ask that you would open our eyes that we might behold beautiful things of Christ our Savior, that we might with our hearts be in one accord of your word, because your spirit is leading, your spirit is teaching. We pray that you would pour out your spirit and abundance this morning. Through Jesus Christ we pray, amen. You'll notice in your bulletin, I did provide a full outline for you. Uh, We uh, will not uh, make it all the way through the uh, outline that I provided for you. Again, in hopes that uh, the future will finish up the book. And so we see the first uh, two parts of the outline here that we're looking at, the greetings and verses 1 and 2, and then the reason for writing this letter. Uh, The other parts that we'll see in the future, we see a, a large section where Jude gives examples of God's judgment to to these false teachers. Uh, We also see a a goading, this exhortation of what we need to do in light of some false teachers that have crept into the church. And also, finally, we see this wonderful glory that is expressed, this doxology uh, that is uh, there at the end of the book of Jude. But let's look at the first couple of verses here. Jude describes himself as a servant, a bondservant, a slave of Jesus Christ. And this is a common biblical greeting used in many New Testament letters. Uh, But let's not lose the meaning here. Jude is a slave by his own volition, by his own choosing to Christ. The first words out of his pen to describe himself are this, the servant of Christ who is my Lord and my Master. Now, hold on just a minute. This, This Jude... Uh, This Christian leader in the 60s, the 65 A.D., the brother of the highly esteemed St. James, who was the Christian leader of all Jerusalem, Jude, the youngest brother of Jesus himself, what he claims first and foremost, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. You know, Jude could have said a lot of things, he could have said, look, people, I, I've got two famous brothers. One is the leader of the megachurch over in Jerusalem, and my other brother, oh, by the way, he's God incarnate. So I have two famous brothers, one being the creator and sustainer of all things. Therefore, listen up. But Jude chooses not to say so. He chooses the most important thing first. I am a bondservant of Messiah of Christ, who is called Jesus. We are reminded, the greatest amongst you shall serve. So to whom does Jude write his letter? He writes to Jewish Christians, and look how he defines what a true Christian is. He says right here up front, a true Christian is called, loved, and kept. Called, loved, and kept. A Christian is called out of the land of paganism and polytheism and called by God to the promised land. A Christian is called out of darkness into light. A Christian is called by name, for his name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. A Christian is called. We might remember the words of Paul here, and those who he predestined, he also called, those who he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Christian is called by divine grace and sovereign choice. A Christian is loved by God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Have you thought on that today? I know it's early. It's 10-10. We haven't thought about many things on a Sunday, rainy Sunday morning. But think about being the beloved of God the Father. Beloved in God the Father. That's a unique phrase only found in the book of Jude, but let's make it personal. I am beloved in God the Father through Jesus Christ. As we trust in Jude's brother, Jesus Messiah, as we called, as we are called and not invited, as we trust in Jesus alone for salvation as it's graciously offered in the gospel, we are the beloved in God the Father. But Jude doesn't stop there. Kept. What does it mean? So we're called, we're kept. We're loved in God the Father. Jude, being a good Presbyterian, offers a good three-point sermonette. Point three is that you're kept. We're kept in Jesus Christ. We are persevered. Jesus keeps those who are called and loved by God. We are safe under the protection of Christ. He says, no one will be snatched out of my hands. We're kept by Christ because each and every child of God is a precious treasure that is protected by Christ. Maybe you grew up in a household where you were described as trash or worthless or why were you born? Or maybe it wasn't ever said out loud, but your parents, you just knew that they disapproved of you for some reason. Perhaps they ignored you. Perhaps they even loved something or someone else more than they loved you. It happens. It's a reality in today's world. It hurts, and some people spend the rest of their adulthood trying to figure out, am I trash or am I treasure? That's you this morning. Then go no farther. By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ alone, old hearts, broken hearts, hearts of stone are replaced with new hearts and a new spirit. In Christ, you are called loved, and kept. In verse verse 2, we find another triplet in this greeting. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. We haven't even gotten very far in the book of Jude, and now he's pronouncing the benediction. The benediction is a blessing that is given by the pastor and received by the congregation. Jude speaks God's mercy, God's peace, God's love to the church. Mercy, peace, and love. Yeah, I'll take some of that. It's exactly what Christians want. What they desire. Mercy, peace, and love. Jude is an intriguing guy. This is a very, very interesting letter. Just wait till we get the, to the heart of it with all the examples of God's judgment. We're, we're going to see that in the future and it's just absolutely intriguing how Jude writes this letter. But what one word would we expect to see from Jude in this greeting that is not there, that is in most every other letter written in the New Testament? Grace. Jude, where's the grace? He, He chooses mercy instead of grace. So why does he choose mercy? When mercy and grace are compared in Scripture, mercy is referring to the goodness and kindness of God towards those in need whereas grace is slightly distinguished in that God's goodness and kindness towards sinners. Jude simply reminds this audience and us today that we are in need of mercy of God because of our need for God. Lamentations 3 reminds us the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What a beautiful reminder this morning. God is merciful to those in need. God's mercy be yours in abundance. So let's not stop there. God's peace be yours in abundance. What is God's peace? It's the experience every believer has in receiving all the blessings and benefits of Christ. It's the peace that passes all understanding because God reconciles his people to himself through the perfect life and atoning death of Christ. By grace through faith, Christ's righteousness is imputed or assigned to us. Our unrighteousness is imputed to him. In Christ, uh, one is not just no longer an enemy of God, but he is now a child of God. And this peace of God through Christ is the remedy for fear, anxiety, and brings joy and protection and safekeeping. God's peace be yours in abundance. But wait, there's more. God's love be yours in abundance. This love is God's love to his people. We're reminded from Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in this while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Jude masterfully defines for us what a true Christian is. A true Christian is called, loved, and kept. He also describes what the Christian desires, mercy, love, and peace and abundance. And that's a pretty okay greeting. Let's look at the reason for Jude's writing. Verses 3 and 4, one more time. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. As we move from Jude's greeting to his reason for writing this letter, there's just a few things that I'd like to highlight for us this morning. So why does he write this letter? The original intent was to share a word of encouragement about their common salvation in Jesus Christ. I imagine it would be kind of like WLFJ. They have this uplifting and encouraging theme that they have going. A joyful and happy tone would have been evident throughout that letter. But something happened. And it was urgent. Jude had to keep the congregation apprised of what was going on. Jude, James's brother, Jesus's half-brother, writes a letter to a congregation to remind and warn and exhort the church that truth matters. Why? Because false teachers had crept in, and they were going to devour the church with their perversion of truth. Jude's reason for writing this letter was simple. His beloved friends were to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Jude had hoped to write a letter of encouragement regarding their common salvation, but an imminent threat had come to the church and had to be dealt with quickly. So Jude exhorts, contend. Many of us get a little bit nervous when we hear the word contend, uh, some are, are, are really good at confrontation and dealing with confrontation in a good, effective, positive way. Some are not so much. Uh, some would almost do anything to avoid contention or conflict. But Jude calls us, God calls us, to contend whether we feel like it or not, whether we're good at it or not, or whether we really believe it's our gift or not. Contend is a Greco-Roman word used by Jude specifically to tell us it's time to, to fight when it comes to the faith that once was delivered to all the saints. We are to fight like a well-trained Olympian. What are we to fight for? The faith that was once delivered to all the saints. It is the faith, so therefore it's not a verb that we're talking about. It is a noun. We're not talking about personal faith in Jesus Christ. We're talking about a body of doctrine, given to us by the apostles and as we find today in the scriptures. We're talking about the word of God, which is from God, the fount of all truth, because he is truth personified. Jesus says, I am the truth. Thy word is truth. God is true. God has given us the word of truth. Therefore, it is true truth. The author of scripture is God himself. And he says so in 2 Timothy three sixteen: all scripture is God breathed. God himself carried along the men who wrote the scriptures so that indeed the scriptures are true truth. This truth, that faith that was once delivered, is good for every tongue, tribe, and nation, no matter what time, no matter what location, no matter what culture, no matter if the person believes the word of God is true or not. A friend of mine was taking a class in seminary. He was an, an elder in the church, and he was just taking one class, and the assignment was to write a paper on the word of God and how it was true and so in 20 pages my friend used all types of evidences all types of experience all types of um, archaeological evidence I mean just went above and beyond and he was so excited to turn this paper into his professor but when he received his paper back uh, he received a d on the paper and up at the top right hand corner of course in red the professor wrote one sentence God's word is true Whether you like it or not, believe it or not, whether or not you can prove it. Beloved, this is the truth that Jude says we must contend for. It is the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Jude's letter and the word of God is from the Lord, and it's just as applicable for us today as it was when Jude wrote it. But why? Wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. False teachers have crept into the evangelical church and have taught false doctrine. This false doctrine is not based on Scripture. It's based upon dreams. It's based upon false revelations. And these wolves in sheep's clothing intend to devour and destroy the church. Because although they claim to be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, their actions and their teachings show otherwise. So Jude must stand. He must stand for the truth. He must stand for the faith once delivered for all the saints. And the church must stand as well, must contend for the truth, which is always objective, always applicable to all people, all times, in all places. So what must they do? They must contend for the faith that was once delivered for all the saints. And that's the same message for us today. Jude calls us, God calls us to be biblical scholars. isn't that reserved for those that are going to seminary and the professionals contending for the faith the truth the truth is God's call on every single Christian to be biblical scholars is our duty and our responsibility and our privilege the honor of being called the honor of being loved the honor of being kept comes with clear directives and one of those is to contend for the truth are we ready to contend for the truth I'm not an Alabama fan. No offense there, Joey. I'm not an Alabama fan. So Alabama's playing, you know, you walk into the room. uh, Who's Alabama playing? Whoever. What's the score? 64 to 3, Alabama. How much is left in the game? Three and a half quarters. (laughs) But Coach Dick Saban. Now... As quirky as he is, and we, ha- we all have our quirks, right? He's the coach that can size up an opponent with all the X's and the O's, equip his assistant coaches to equip the players to win the game. One thing that he's all about, preparation, preparation, and preparation. He's all about the preparation, and that's precisely what Jude is getting to here. You see, if you're called to contend, you have to be prepared to contend. And so Coach Saban treats every practice with the same intensity as game day. That's amazing. That's the intensity that we need to bring when we have our devotions. That's the intensity that we need to bring when we have our prayer time. That's the intensity that we need to have when we are studying Scripture. Uh, we bring it every time so that we are ready to contend when God, uh, when God enables us to do that. Preparation. And that's precisely what, he, what, what Jude is getting to here. Contend because you are prepared. All are called to, to contend, but all must prepare and prepare and prepare We must build ourselves up in the most holy faith. We see this in verse 20. We'll get to that later. One of the many jobs of the Secret Service is to protect the U.S. currency. The old saying of the Secret Service on how to detect counterfeit money was have a greater knowledge of the genuine. That that was their motto for years and years and years. Have a greater knowledge knowledge of the genuine. Their job was to know real currency so well that in an instant they could spot a fake bill. And that's how we must prepare to spot a fake teacher, a false teacher, a fake Christian. To contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, we must be prepared and must know the genuine, the original word of God so precisely that we spot a fake in an instant. Jude says to his congregation, someone wasn't watching. Someone had put on camo and snuck in. Certain people crept in. You didn't detect the counterfeit teachers, and now it's time to fight. So we must fight for the truth. As I was studying and preparing for today's message, I I came across some materials that I had from the McDowells, Josh and his son. I, I can't Sean, I think is his name, Uh, they say in some of these materials uh, some interesting things about truth. Seventy-five percent of high school students who have been in church, these are church kids, 75 percent of church kids leave the church when they graduate from high school. Why? Kids drift because parents drift? Because the church has drifted. The Renaissance said, we don't need God. Look how great man is. The Enlightenment said, we don't need God. Just look how man can reason. Man is the the master of his own destiny. The Industrial Revolution said, we don't need God. Just look at what we can create. Darwin came along and said, we don't even need the concept of God. The concept of God is dead. There is no creator or giver of life. All life resides in man, and therefore all truth resides in man. Since all that is left is man, we must tolerate all claims of personal truth and personal perspective. And so we must be multicultural, meaning all morals are equal. What happened, church? Where were you when asked what is truth? It appears that the church was an ostrich with her, ste- her head stuck in the sand. The church did not take the opportunity to engage the world in regards to truth and did not see the disaster of relativism coming. The way of the world crept in the church. Does anyone care about truth today? Why is truth so important? that truth that is once for all delivered to the saints. Truth is simply this, describing the world as it actually is. Your belief matches what's in the world. You make a statement and you go see if it's true. Two things plus two things equals four things, right? What part of the world does the red panda come from? Well, we can figure that out. We can find that out. It's Asia. But when it comes to moral truth the world changes the definition of truth let me give you an example what is your favorite flavor of ice cream? I know two Sundays in a row we're talking about ice cream, right? Davis at some point in time was vanilla, may may have changed Uh, what is your favorite flavor of ice cream? Let me tell you this your favorite flavor of ice cream is vanilla. To you is that true? or is it false? All right, so three people, and me. I don't feel awkward. So so is that true or not? Okay, so a few people said, yes, that's true. So for the rest of you, that's false. Is that a problem? It's not a problem, right? It's not a problem because there's also what's called subjective truth, personal private opinions. Uh, If you have a favorite flavor of ice cream, That's your opinion, and it's an internal choice. So we can say, well, what's true for you, your favorite flavor of ice cream, is not true for me. What if I said vanilla ice cream controls diabetes? Is it true for some people? No, it's never true. It's false, and it's always false. It's not about preference. It's an objective claim, false claim Uh, that uh, can be verified as false and this is the fact about the world and it can't change insulin obviously controls diabetes not vanilla ice cream subjective or objective let's figure these things out this morning subjective or objective Uh, what kind of statements are these coke tastes better than pepsi subjective or objective subjective right it's your opinion diet coke has fewer calories than regular coke Objective. We can measure that. Scientists do their chemical thing and West bang and then you find the answer. George Washington was the first president of the United States. Objective. That's not a subjective. It's not your opinion. Hawaii is the most beautiful place in the world. Subjective. Right. Action movies are more enjoyable than romance movies. Objective. <laughs> Objective. I knew somebody would tell me the truth. I wondered if it would be Joe. Joe, thank you for that. Um. So we see that even like the earth is the center of the solar system. It's objectively wrong. Uh, False claim about reality, scientific claims can be proven. We're dealing with fact and objective truth. Sometimes we have to recognize subjective truth. So is moral truth like ice cream? No. It's like gravity. It's objective. But what do we find today? That moral truth is now subjective. It depends on your point of view or it depends on your personal preference. Moral issues are not like ice cream. You can't have your truth and my truth at the same time because they both can't be true at the same time. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 2 All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. All who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who did not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law unto themselves, even though they do not have the law, they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consciences also bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times, defending them. All are made in God's image. All have law, the God, God's law written on their hearts. We know what's right and wrong. When someone says, I don't believe in an absolute objective moral truth, don't believe them. Laws of objective moral truth exist in their heart, just like there are natural laws outside of us that exist and are true. You're not sure if someone believes in moral objective standard? Try something. You're at the Walmart. There's a line of about 25 people. Just go cut in line. And you'll find out real quick if somebody believes in moral objective standard. Well, you're still not sure. Just go to Starbucks and take his caramel macchiato and see if he believes in an objective moral truth. You don't believe me yet. Just cut someone off on Interstate 85 and see if they believe that there's not an objective moral truth. You'll know by the sign language that they give to you. You're still not sure. Someone says, I do not believe in an objective moral standard. Then just take his smartphone and start running. And when he catches up to you, you just say, Well, there's no objective moral norm. I think that I have the right to take your phone, and certainly you don't want to force your moral standard on me, do you? Do you see the contradiction of the moral relativist today? A child approaches you with something in a box, and you ask, and, and, and the child asks you, well, can I kill it? And you ask him, what is it? He says to you, inside the box, there's a palmetto bug. Sure, go kill it. Just do it outside. Perhaps he comes to you and he says, in this box, can I kill it? What is it? It's a cat. Well, what are you waiting for? (laughs) Perhaps he says, in this box, I found something. What is it? He says, well, I found it in a stroller over there. It's a tiny little baby. because there is an objective moral standard there is truth how we treat things depends on what it is is that tiny little newborn baby just tissue was it just tissue before it was born 1954 dr seuss wrote horton hears a who and i love the lesson he gives to us a person's a person no matter how small. Our culture is entangled in lies. Truth is out of vogue, but remember the words of Jesus. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And we will remember Jesus' prayer in John 17. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. We're giving our marching orders this morning from Jude, from God, the author and Perfector of our faith. We are to contend for the truth. Charles Spurgeon says, I believe a very large majority of churchgoers are merely unthinking, slumbering worshipers of an unknown God. Let that not be true for us. Let us be a people of the word who are prepared to contend for the faith once delivered for the saints. Those who are called, loved, and kept are commissioned to contend. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, as we have come to your word this morning, we are reminded of the great blessing of what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is called out of the darkness into light. A Christian is loved, beloved in the Father. A Christian is kept for all eternity. Father, we are also reminded this morning from this book that we must be prepared to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered. We must be prepared to contend for the truth that we must have boldness from your spirit to do so. That we must have the power and the words that you would give us to be light and salt into this world. Would you enable us to do that? Would you pour out your mercy and your peace and your love and abundance to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.